The commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging is not a transaction. It is something that takes continued commitment and continued diligence. You can't kind of roll out a campaign and then throw it in autopilot and assume that everything will go swimmingly. It really does take active and intentional engagement. Welcome to the Hackett Group's Business Acceleration Podcast. Week after week, you'll hear from top experts on how to avoid obstacles, manage detours, and celebrate milestones on the journey to world-class performance. Hello, this is Tony DiRomaldo. I'm Senior Research Director with the Hackett HR Advisory Program. Joining me today as panelists are Arben Smith and Dorothe el Our topic today is what can organizations do to increase diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging? Arben, welcome to the session. Thanks for having me, Tony. Great to be here. And Dorothe, welcome to you to the session. Thanks, Tony. Good to be with you, too. Great. So let's let's begin. Let me introduce the topic quickly. Diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging has become a particularly urgent issue in organizations, brought to the fore by a culmination of trends that have been building for years and which were amplified by recent events such as the COVID pandemic and the killing of George Floyd in the United States, which cast a spotlight on some harsh truths about inequities that exist across societies and particularly within corporations. And so over the past two years, what we've been seeing is many companies have re-examined their commitments to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And a number of them have taken renewed actions to increase them, but many are failing to move the needle in any significant way. And so our research, which was conducted late in 2021, looked at this issue and looked at what companies were doing to increase diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And what our study revealed were a number of key practices that distinguish those who are making tangible progress versus those who are struggling. And so today we want to focus on three of those key practices that we believe are are difference-making practices and recommendations that emerge from our research. So let me start with the first one key practice, and that is those organizations that were doing better and getting better results around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging were ones that really took a holistic approach to rethinking their talent management strategy. So they went back and really looked at everything they were doing around finding, attracting, hiring, onboarding, developing, compensating, managing diverse talent, and looked at ways and changes to to make to improve uh, the results of those processes. So Arben, I want to start with you and ask what insights and recommendations do you draw 
from your experience working with clients and from your participation with Dorote and myself on this research regarding what organizations can and should be doing differently around talent management to generate greater uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging? That's an interesting question, Tony, because I think that, you know, one of the things we've observed in the light of recent events is that the commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging is not a transaction. It is something that takes continued commitment and continued diligence. You can't kind of roll out a campaign and then throw it in autopilot and assume that everything will go swimmingly. It really does take active and intentional engagement. And when you think about those organizations that are leading in this space, one of the things that is very apparent is that they are actively looking and thinking about this on a day-in, day-out basis. Someone is responsible, or many people are responsible, for the ongoing and forward momentum. If it's left to just HR, if it's left to just middle managers, if it's left to just the C-suite, it doesn't happen. It requires all hands on deck. And I looked at some of our clients who are making progress in this area. And one of the things they do, especially from a sourcing standpoint, is that they're looking beyond the traditional pools of where they've gotten talent, right? If your traditional pool was going to, you know, a set of universities that you believe, A, you have good alumni internally who have strong relationships there, or there are programs that have been a good pipeline, being able to broaden that aperture and say, you know what, open the aperture and let's look at what are the core competencies and where are the other pools where these kinds of targets exist and we haven't considered in the past. And I think that's, you know, one of the key things that leaders in this space are doing well. They're looking beyond the tried and true where we usually go doing business as normal, and they're willing to be uncomfortable in the process. Excellent point. So, you know, to get different results, you can't be doing the same things you've been doing all along. You've, you've got to change them. Darte, I want to bring you into the conversation. What's your perspective on the rethinking of talent management and, and what's necessary to start moving the needle around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging? Well, what I've seen is that really um, those companies who are successful in this field are investing more and really focusing their effort into first item, which is very obvious, but even top performers are not there yet, is awareness. So diversity and inclusion cannot develop in a context where people don't see the point, don't think there's something to change or a gap to bridge. So the best companies, they still invest heavily in awareness training and also unconscious bias training, because while employees and managers may understand why things need to change and how they need to change, they may not know what it is in their behavior that drives the wrong results. So lack of diversity and work environments that are not inclusive. So they need to understand where it comes from 
in their day-to-day behaviors. So that's one of the investments that is differentiating for, for companies who want to, to change. And, and the other one is really focusing on careers, uh, making examples for targeted groups of how they can progress, helping them in their career, mentoring them as well to, to make sure that they get the possibility to grow in the roles and to grow in the company. And, and that uh, really helps drive a different result and a better output. Great. So, you know, we need to focus more than just on that top end of the funnel. Also, the, the career development and learning is a way to help diverse talent grow and, and move forward in the organization. Interesting. So let, let's move on to the second key practice and that's measuring and assessing progress toward desired outcomes. Now, this may seem to be management 101, but what we saw from the research is this actually is a real differentiator between those who are able to make progress versus those who seem to be treading water on the topic. Arben, I'm going to start with you again. What do you see? What can you speak to around this challenge of measurement and assessment as a tool to drive better outcomes around diversity, uh, equity, inclusion, and belonging? So one of the things that I see, Tony, is that, you know, first, an organization has to admit that they have a problem. Because what I found is that you cannot fix what you won't face. And anecdotally, I think most organizations will admit that at some level, there's a problem. If you're able to get diverse talent in the door and they're you know, represented in, at the entry level, but they're not represented in middle management or executive leadership, you have a problem. And so the measurement is not just, can we get diverse talent in the door? The measurement also has to be, can we get diverse talent in the door? Can we actually get them into a management role? And can they actually progress up to senior leadership? And if there are barriers in the way, that's what the organization should be measuring. How do we see this continuous improvement that we don't just have a revolving door at the entry level. I'd also say that you can't manage what you can't measure. And so you got to put real metrics in. It's not enough to just say who came in and how many people do we have within these categories. That's, you know, kind of rudimentary. And I think one of the interesting things that has happened is that, you know, the SEC has put some very broad guidelines out for public companies around, you know, reporting on diversity. But I do think that organizations that are serious about it will hold themselves to a higher standard and not just do the bare minimum, but they will actively and aggressively ask, where do we have opportunity to get better? And I think we kind of see a theme happening now as we see a greater push and focus for diversity of board level individuals, that we see that represented up and down the actual organization and leadership structure within organizations, 
because that becomes more reflective both of the communities that are served by services and products, as well as the stakeholders that are key to the viability of any organization. Yes. So uh, measurement and assessment are clearly critical critical tool to drive progress. Dorote, what, what's your perspective on the measurement and assessment practice that was revealed around the research? One thing that really struck me when I uh, looked at our uh, research is that those companies that were the leaders, they really made DNI part of their culture, part of their DNA, part of everything they do. And if you look at how um, they behave in the measurement space, it really reflects this approach. So the number of metrics that they're um, tracking really look at every single part of the organization. So it's not only about who's recruited, it's also about who's retained. So are minority groups uh, better or less well retained than others? Are they promoted? Do they have the same development opportunities? Um, do they have the same level of engagement? Do, have, do they have the same pay level? And so it's really organizations being honest uh, with themselves about what they're able to, uh, to achieve and, and wanting to look at it with a multi-dimensional approach. So not just the very um, common metrics of representation, which is the, the, the output, if you want to say, of, of everything, or employee engagement levels, which is what all organizations do. It's a much broader set of indicators that are looked at and more importantly, acted upon on a permanent basis. So throughout the talent cycle, not just at different points. Great. I think those are some interesting insights. Let's go on to the third practice uh, and the last practice that we're going to discuss today. And this is one I think is probably, in my opinion, you know, the most important of, of those we identified. And that's holding leaders from top to bottom of the organization accountable for results. Accountability is, is a key. Arben, what in your view should companies be doing to drive accountability for results in leaders and managers in, in organizations? So Tony, I, in my perspective, I would say that this is probably where organizations struggle the most because it is so easy to come up with, you know, platitudes and initiatives and all of this great stuff makes for great campaigns internally and externally. I can remember right after the events, you know, around the pandemic where, you know, corporations were making these promises and financial commitments of significant uh, proportions and saying, here's what we're going to do. But interestingly, there was no scorecard around that, right? Unless the media is, you know, going back and tracking and said, hey, you promised that you would do X or Y in the community or as it relates to diversity, you know, who's holding you accountable to that? And I think this is where diversity initiatives, you know, and commitments to equity and inclusion and belonging can sometimes go off the rails, because in the day in, day out execution of business, this kind of gets pushed to the back of the mind because it's not 
the platform that is burning right in front of you. It's shareholder value and stock price and, you know, customers and clients and products and services. And so it's very easy for this to get pushed off the side of the table. I think that one of the things that organizations can do is make it integral to a leader's success. I personally believe, and I think the data shows that people behave the way they're incented. And just like, you know, a financial bonus is tied to performance, we have to get to that point where, you know, we incent this behavior in a way that over time it becomes reflexive, second nature, where it's the right thing to do, not because you are getting something out of it, but it's the right thing to do. And I think until we get there, we've got to cultivate that behavior like we do with any other metric, any other goal. It's got to be measured, measured. It's got to be focused, defined for a specific leader to achieve certain outcomes over time. And either you're on target or you're off and your performance assessment is, you know, determined by achievement of those objectives. And until we do that, you will see this kind of loosey-goosey, we didn't make it, but, you know, we'll try again next year. We'll try this over here and, you know, scatter shot. It's on, it's off, it's up, it's down. And we won't really get the kind of sustained progress that I think is achievable when leaders are accountable. Right. So accountability has to be something that's uh, enforced and reinforced on a continuous basis. Absolutely. Dorote, what's your perspective on on this challenge around driving accountability in leaders and managers? I think it's about uh, accountability and it's also about visibility. So accountability at all levels in the organization. So not just the C-level. The C-level need to role model the right behaviors and they need to show uh, dedication to to the topic together with the HR leadership. Um, It's also about business unit leaders. If it's only the topic of the CEO and HR, it's it's a very small proportion um, in the organization. So it has to be an accountability for um, all of the leaders, all of the managers. And it's about visibility because also internally and externally, the objectives that are set and the uh, results that are achieved need to be uh, communicated broadly. So it shouldn't be just a set of of, uh, values that are announced and everyone takes the uh, CEO's word for it. Uh, It needs to be communicated very uh, broadly And here I insist on it's internally to the organization, but also externally. So, you know, to uh, shareholders, to customers, to communities, even to investors for the company and its leadership to show that they're very serious about this uh, commitment. And let me tell you, there's a very big difference. If you go to any company website uh, there's a big difference between companies where uh, there's a DNI uh, page that you can go to, but it's it's really the communication is really focused on one page for those people who have interest in in this, and for others it's everywhere. So it's on the page for the customer, for the investors, for the candidates. It's a big difference, and whether there's communication around uh, facts and targets uh, with KPIs, as we mentioned before or if it's just 
a vague high level positive statement but you don't really feel that there's anything going on linked with this and there's a big difference it really uh, was very clear from our research that top performers absolutely uh, commit above and beyond HR and the C-level to the objectives and they really tie themselves uh, with objectives that are visible to uh, to the broad uh, community, to the world, not just internally to uh, a specific uh, limited number of people. Mm, so, so visibility and transparency of goals and progress is, is clearly a difference maker for, for the top performers. Okay, well, that's all we have time for today. I want to thank you, Arben and Darte, for, for your thoughtful insights and contributions to our discussion. My pleasure. Thank you, Tony. Thanks for listening. You can find the audio, helpful resources, and a transcript of each episode at podcast.thehackagroup.com. If you liked this episode, please share it. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. We'd welcome your feedback by tapping the rating on this or any episode, or send us an email at podcast at thehackitgroup.com. The Hackett Group is a global leader in defining and enabling world-class performance. Learn how we can assist with your improvement journey at www.thehackitgroup.com.